welcome back to the channel today, everyone. I'm your host, Sarah Higdon. This is Transformer Freedom. I wish y'all could have seen what happened. Like literally, as my countdown was going, I got kicked out of the out of the space. So um, that was that was close. Thank you for joining. Uh, we got a great show for you today. Now it is 9/11, right? So I I do want to highlight what this means. Was it 2001 when those planes hit the World Trade Center? It meant a lot for a lot of people. Um, now. My boss, Libby Emmons, over at the Post Millennial, she she wrote on Twitter today that, you know, there was a huge spike in patriotism following the events of 9-11 and followed by, which has led to a huge spike in just disagreement. It was not very long lasted. And I... I, I Libby's right, and I say that 9-11 brought what I call blind patriotism to the country. So I realized this maybe last year when I was home for 4th of July visiting my family. I started seeing, like, you know, people celebrating the country all these patriotic songs, all this stuff. And it, and it made me start to realize like, this is really like, this is why I became a neocon. So after 9-11, I became a neoconservative. I believed that the United States strength was through power. You know, we had to have this global presence around the world so that what happened on 9-11 didn't happen to us again. But that was a lie. When you start looking into the history of our involvement in the Middle East, you realize what Ron Paul said on the debate stage in, what, 20, 2012? Was absolutely correct. That... Our involvement in the Middle East basically disrupted everything that was going on there. Because we've been involved for so long, we've disrupted the Middle East and their prosperity and, and, and tried to influence it with our moral agendas. They don't the people that live there are not the same um as we are here in the United States, they believe they have a different moral code than we have. Um, when you look at bin Laden's words, you realize that he was distraught by our, you know, occupation and involvement in Saudi Arabia. And it's really what kind of turned me. Like I said, I was this and this was 15 years in the making, at least, um, because I I mean, I was a very strong conservative and a patriot. And what happened on 9-11 made me so mad um, and it made me want to go fight. 
it really did. I mean, and that's why I joined the military in 2010. Like, if y'all know my story, like I joined the military to go fight for our country. And I don't, I don't regret my decision to do that. Um, I don't regret much of anything in my life because I think that everything is a teaching moment. Um, but what I will say is that the cause that we went to fight was wrong. I do believe that we need a standing military to ward off foreign invasion from enemies, but I don't think that we should be fighting wars across the country, across the world, fighting proxy wars across the world. Because when you really look at what happened on 9-11, you start to see that our disruption in the Middle East um, since the Carter administration really essentially led to 9-11. I, I, I would believe that had we not been disrupting the region for so long, you know, I, I don't think that we would have had to deal with something like 9-11. I think that our standing in the world, even amongst populations in the Middle East, um, would not be in jeopardy as it was. Um, and it still is. Um, but then we see the same mistakes happening in places like Ukraine and everywhere like that. So reflecting back on 9-11, um, kind of one of those situations where it's the same as the, it, honestly, I, I can, you can, you can look at it the same as Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Where Putin was wrong to invade a sovereign nation. Yes. But at the same time, you can't take and you, like you have to self-reflect and look at like what NATO had been doing to lead up to that invasion. It's the same type of thing. Uh, Ron Paul said it in the debate in 2012 that our involvement in the Middle East um, caused 9-11. And whether if that gets me kicked off YouTube or not, I don't I don't really care. I think that's that's something we can we can we can discuss. Now, I don't get too much into the conspiracy theories of it all, right? When people start to say that 9-11 was an inside job and you know Bush did 9-11 or anything like that, I take a step back. <laughs> what those types of conspiracy theories have like what they hold to their core is that our government is actually competent enough to pull off something like 9-11 being an inside job. I just don't believe it. I don't believe that our government is competent enough to do that. Like the number of people that it would take to stay silent for 22 years it's just not feasible. It's not feasible at all. So that's the one <laughs> sticking point for me as to why none of these conspiracy theories make any sense. I, I truly don't believe that our government is competent. Um, I think that anybody really should um, look at it in, in that perspective. Um, I do believe that it, you know, the government's narrative of it um, is probably somewhat correct. I'm not going to say it's 100% correct because, again, I don't um, 
trust the government. But look what happened after 9-11. After 9-11, the government used it to take away our rights. They used the tragedy that we had to, to really dismantle the Fourth and Fifth Amendment tremendously. I mean, think about what the airport was like before that. Now, I was a freshman in high school when 9-11 happened. Um, so I, I will say that I don't remember too well what it was like. But remember, the TSA was not what it is now. And we also know that the TSA is failing on multiple levels every day around the world or around the country. Um, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really make a huge difference. They took away the illegal right to search and seizure. If we implement these policies and, and all that, like it, we, we also then saw the experience, the expansion of the Patriot Act. So we saw we, we actually saw the Patriot Act come into play, right? So the government can literally go out there and spy on you. They can they can see your text messages, they can hear your conversations. And FISA warrants are, you know, FISA courts and FISA warrants are a complete joke because they don't really have they don't really go through that rigorous of a process. We don't know. It's all kept in secret because it's all quote unquote classified information um so that's the expansion that 9-11 had to infringe upon our rights um it was a turning point in this country because i truly believe that the people now that have that didn't that were you know, don't remember when 9-11 happened, don't remember where they were, or were not even born yet. They, they have this sense, like they've been living through the system that it wasn't like this before. Like the prosperity of the 90s was kind of ruined by 9-11 um, and what the government's reaction afterwards. Um, and then our... And they've basically seen us at war their entire lives. They don't really understand the feelings of why we went to that war. Um, and so all they see is us going around bombing brown people around the world. Um, and so th there's, there's this notion that, you know, 20, 20 plus years at war around the world they see us as the bad guy. And that's why you see them not having as much, you know, patriotism and love for this country. And to be quite honest, I don't necessarily know if I blame them, even as a veteran, but this is all they've known for so long. Um, I mean, fortunately, I think that tide is turning a little bit. Um, I don't think we're going to see a... You know, especially as we've seen a rise, like I talked about a couple weeks ago. Everybody on that debate stage, but Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a millennial, just a couple years older than I am, was a neocon. And they are not the people that 
even Republicans are voting for. The young Republicans want non-interventionists. I mean, Donald Trump was the first person to not start a new conflict while he was in office. Um, and he set the, the, the wheels in motion to get us out of Afghanistan. The Biden administration's execution of those wheels was lackluster, to say the least. But Donald Trump set that into motion. So, you know, I that's that's what I look back on when I reflect on 9-11 is just remembering what it was like. And and even while I was in the military, before I really started to have my awakening moments, like when I saw ISIS taking over Afghanistan again, that that angered me. You know, but then later on, I realized the reason why ISIS took over again, the reason why ISIS is even a thing in the Middle East, is because of the United States. Had we not invaded Iraq, ISIS would not be a thing. That's interesting to think about. So, um, when you, when you really start to look at it, like, are we the bad guys? Sometimes you question that. Um, and again, as a, as a veteran myself, I don't think my sacrifice or the sacrifice of my friends um, was in vain because we thought we were doing what was right. But at the end of the day, I look at it and say, was it worth it? To get us out of there, it was. But I would I would bring any one of them back to not ever have gone into those countries. When we lost more people in the wars on global terror than we did on 9-11, then that's not worth it, in my opinion. I mean, that's it's not. That's a failure. But we move on. So it's 9-11. We're going to move on. I mean, the, the title of this episode is, <laughs> is Censorship Run Wild, right? So um, there's been a lot of censorship just this week of people that I know and people that I consider friends. So our first story of the evening is my friend... As y'all know, I've done a lot of events with Chloe Cole, um, detransitioner. Honestly, I, I know her so well that um, like writing us writing this story um, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. It's hard because I have to cite sources when the source is me because I know her story so well that I could write it with my eyes closed. I know her story, but um, if you. Just for everybody to get caught up, Chloe Cole was 13 years old when she started, when when doctors put her on puberty blockers, and then that same year put her on testosterone. She had double mastectomy at 15, and then at 16, she uh, detransitioned, and it was because she went to some went to an event where they were talking about 
breastfeeding. And she started to realize that she would never be able to breastfeed her child and that she wanted to be a mother. Um, so she made the decision to detransition. At 18, she started to speak out. Um, she just turned 19 not too long ago. So happy birthday, Chloe. Uh, very late birthday. This week, Instagram. Well, Facebook. Well, so Meta. Meta. So Facebook, Instagram. Um, sent Chloe this message. Let me see. Um, that her profile violates their guidelines on violence. So they're basically saying her profile perpetuates violence. Let me read her profile real quick, right? It basically says she's 19, she's American, she's a female, former trans kid, started T and blockers at 13, double mastectomy at 15, and then detransitioned at 16. That's her profile. It basically describes her life, yet they are saying that that is violence. Like, and yes, Courtney, yeah. So yes, Chloe was testifying before Congress on her birthday. That is how dedicated to the cause that she is to not transition children. So everybody knows. Um, if I scroll down here, um, Chloe had the best, I mean, Chloe's got some wit. So she said, if you think reading it is violent, imagine actually living through that. I love it. I, I, I love it. But see, that's the thing is Meta has started to um, do this to where they're it's kind of like Twitter's. Like we won't promote. It's like, you know, law like they'll they'll keep it on the platform as long as it's lawful, but they won't promote awful takes. Um, Chloe's still allowed on the platform. She get she didn't get banned from the platform. But they said her her profile is falls under that to where they won't even let me see where is it um she had another take to where she like it they won't like oh yeah so here it is her account cannot be shown to non-followers um as the account like so her account's not gonna be shown to anybody that doesn't already follow her or seek her out to follow her um so it's really interesting. Now, I will say, I mean, obviously, Chloe gave me a quote. So I do want to read this real quick. Um, oh, yeah. So this is actually the message that they sent to her. Her account and content would appear in places like Explorer, Search, Suggested User, Reels, and Feeds, and Recommendations. In a statement to the post-millennial, Cole said... Facebook is absolutely correct in stating that my, my bio describes something violent. That is my own life experiences. However, I am doing quite the opposite of condoning what doctors did to me and instead using my experience to raise awareness and encourage others to be compassionate. 
It's upsetting that they claim that I am promoting violence and using this narrative to hide my content from parents, children, and those who need to hear my message the most. I think that really is the tragedy of it all, right? Those who really need to know, like, need to be warned about this stuff and hear Chloe's message, that's the true victim of this censorship. Like, that is the true victim. Chloe's not necessarily, Chloe's not really a victim because she's going to get promoted like crazy because they tried to cancel her. Like, we all know every time that it's happened to me or anybody else, they have, it's blown up. And you all know, like, this isn't the first time that Chloe has had to deal with this type of stuff. Um, she's been an outspoken advocate against, you know, the transitioning of children. The one thing that I love about Chloe, and I, I, I talk about her, I, I, I really do. And when I wrote this article, obviously, I'm going to take care to write the article because I do care about Chloe a lot. Um, I see her as somebody who I, I look at her as like a younger sister to me because she's an amazingly brilliant person, but I will say, um, but yeah, I mean, she, I, I, I try to protect her like a sister, um, because she's, she's really amazing person, but The other thing about her is like she is not a detransitioner who has gone and made it a, a mission to really to attack trans people, right? She she attacks the ideology in the same way that I do, the same way that many of us do. But she has even said in multiple interviews that for a lot of people, for for we should not condemn adults who do this. Um, and I and I really respect her uh, her opinion on that. I really respect her. And obviously, she knows like people like me, Buck Angel and Blair White, and and, and quite a few few others who are supportive of her mission. And so she's not throwing people like us under the bus. And and. And because, you know, what she because of what she went through, she doesn't blame people like that, us. So that's that's great. But um, it's really heartbreaking to see what they've done to this. I mean, one of the, I mean one of the most egregious things that that happened obviously was um, the event in January um, that took or. It was in February. Never mind. My dates are off. Um, so in February, if you remember, me, Chloe, um, and Jeanette Cooper from uh, Partners for Ethical Care did an event in Wisconsin. It was also supposed to feature um, Gays Against Groomers founder Jamie Michelle. Jamie had a family emergency at the time her mother passed away like the day before the event was supposed to take place and uh, she was unable to make it 
after this event, this Eventbrite actually removed our, our listing after the event. We were protested and it was listed after the event. Me and Chloe did a an event in Pennsylvania in, I think, March. And that event was protested so much that the hotels canceled our, our event. The hotel said we couldn't do our event there anymore. Um, the police said we can't protect you. We don't have enough people on the force to protect you. So we had to move the location. Thankfully, a church, North Philly, actually uh, hosted us and we had a great event, everything like that. It was kind of, I, it was it was actually quite fitting that it was taking place in a church of all places. Um, it was great. Um, but still, they tried to shut us down there. This is what they do. And now that big tech is starting to censor detransitioners who speak out because of their profile that explains what they went through, that's wrong. It's completely wrong. Um, and I, I really want people to bombard Facebook, which we are we're streaming on Facebook right now. So I would love for everybody to go write Facebook and say, what are you doing? Like, why would you censor somebody's profile that has nothing? Like, it's not violent at all. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, none whatsoever. But that's not the only thing that has caused that has been censored this week. You know, I mentioned Eventbrite. Eventbrite has is not a conservative. It's not conservative friendly, right? So James Lindsay, who has been speaking out against this hateful, you know, this 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 ideology um, of critical theory for quite a while since it came down, since it was, um, what is it? Since it was. Um, critical race theory. So since critical race theory in 2020, and he's been doing this for even longer than that. Well, Eventbrite took down a, a, a an event that James was supposed to be doing in Canada as hateful, dangerous, and violent content. It's like, where have I seen that before? Because they've done that to me twice. <laughs> No, seriously though, they they have they have deemed events that I've taken part of down. They like they've taken them down because they were hateful, dangerous, and violent. Like me. Like who am I violent against? Myself? Like it doesn't make sense. Like, come on now. So um yeah, James was supposed to do an event in Calgary, Canada, organized by uh, let me see. So the event was called Save Our Kids, and Eventbrite said it's hateful. So it's it's hateful to, quote unquote, save our kids. I mean, make it make it make sense that that doesn't make sense at all. I I, I don't get it. Um, this is this is what's crazy. So let's see. Um, 
I mean, let me see. Where is it? Um, basically, what it says as an, as a result, your event has been unpublished. Be aware that severe and repeated violations of our guidelines. Blah 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 blah. I'm actually worried that I'm not going to have an Eventbrite account, so I can't even go to events anymore. Like that's where that's where I'm at with this because, like, I've talked about this before. Like, I've actually joked with people. Where they said, here's the Eventbrite. And I go, well, I don't have an Eventbrite account. And they're like, uh, I'm like, I'm banned. No, I, I, I'm not. Knock on wood. But I can see it happening. It can happen at any given time because they just don't like me. But um, let me see. So, so. James Lindsay actually told the Post Millennial, I should thank Eventbrite for advertising. Um, the, these, acts, the, these acts of attempted censorship won't prevent the event, will attract attention, and will encourage me to be even more plain in my speech so that Canadians can hear the truths these companies and their government don't want them to hear. And that's true. Like I said, like when these things happen, Usually, what happens is these people get more attention. Um, like there very much is the Streisand effect on stuff. So, if you remember, the first time that Eventbrite took an event of mine down that I was participating in down, it was actually almost exactly a year ago. I was doing an event in Richmond, Virginia. And we were screening Matt Walsh's What is a Woman documentary hosted by a panel discussion afterwards. Eventbrite said that was not okay. They took it down. What happens after that? It blows up on Twitter. I, um, Matt Walsh mentions me by name on his show of millions of people because. I was taking part in this event um, and me and Matt Walsh may not get, get along very well, but I thought his documentary was done very well. And it really is interesting that they would censor a trans person and, and his exact words were what's egregious about it was, was that um, it was a documentary of trans people all by a discussion with trans people. And apparently that was still called hateful. I, I, I don't get it. And uh, yeah, that was in January. Um, oh, so in January, yeah, in January, the other event that I was talking about in wisconsin but then they've can't i mean this is this is the whole thing i we talk about a lot is you know parallel economies eventbrite is not i mean eventbrite's a is a private organization they can do this stuff like as long as they're not being forced to do this stuff by the by the government they have every right to do this as consumers we need to treat them like we treated Bud Light. 
not very like boycott. So we need an alternate platform that allows conservative events. Like we need our own platforms. Just like what Elon Musk did with Twitter. We need those spaces so that we can have a parallel economy that doesn't cancel these types of events and actually are free speech platforms that allow free speech to thrive. Otherwise, we're just going to keep continuing to do this. Like, I don't know how many chances we are going to give Eventbrite before we say enough. Now, I'm not smart enough to start a conservative platform like this. I'm not a tech person to be able to really do this. Um, and I know there are other platforms like um, I know our log cabin chapter here in Georgia. We stopped using Eventbrite after a lot of this stuff. can't remember what they use. I know once the event in Richmond got canceled um, by Eventbrite, we used Google Docs to get everybody's name and every, all information like that. So there's different alternatives. But again, Google is just as susceptible as any as anybody else in these types of situations. Um, and and so, yeah, censorship has kind of been running amok on Twitter. However, there is some good news. This week, an appeals court actually found that the Biden administration violated the First Amendment in a censorship case. So this is really good news. Um, this was Missouri versus Biden. And it was a, so the three-person panel of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals actually upheld a lower court ruling that said that the Biden administration violated the First Amendment when it put pressures on platforms to remove posts about COVID-19 and the elections. This kind of comes after the Twitter files and everything like that showed that officials have been engaging. It says it is true that officials have an interest in engaging with social media companies, including on issue, issues such as misinformation and election interference. But the government is not permitted to advance these interests to extend that it or to the extent that it engages in viewpoint suppression. So basically, it's saying now with this upheld, the administration cannot tell these you know social media platforms what posts to suppress and what viewpoints to suppress and like what information they want. The only way that any organization at the federal, any, you know, federal organization can basically talk to social media platforms is that they're trying to get information about a crime that has been committed. Um, and they're trying to look up information. So like if there's a murder that happens, for example, they can then go to social media and try to figure out whose social media, like try to use their social media to determine why, determine motive and all that stuff. That's the only reason why they can even access and, or even communicate with social media platforms. Um, 
The Missouri Attorney General, Andrew Bailey, said in a post on Twitter, the First Amendment remains intact. The first brick was laid in the wall of separation between tech and state on July 4th, and this ruling is just yet another brick. Missouri will continue to lead the way to fight and defend for our most fundamental freedoms. Um, Louisiana Attorney General, who was also listed on this case, so Louis, it was Missouri and Louisiana and some other and some other organizations were part of this lawsuit, but it was listed as Missouri versus Biden. But Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry said, "This is a significant victory for the American people, and it confirms." What we have said from the very beginning, the federal government is not permitted to engage in viewpoint suppression, no matter your political ideology. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, the White House is basically saying the Department of Justice is going to review the decision and see what they can do and possibly take it to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court goes to rule on this. It sets an, it sets an amazing precedent um for how the executive branch and our federal government can can uh, communicate with social media platforms and private companies in general i think this is a huge win in a white pill moment as i've been talking about obviously with a lot of suppression here those are private organizations who knows if they have been in contact with the federal government or not I think a lot of these private platforms other than Twitter are pushing for more censorship just because of their ideologies as a company as a whole. But at the end of the day, we know that Facebook, we know that Twitter before Elon and all this stuff, we know that they were taking orders from the federal government. We saw it in the Facebook files. We also saw it in the Twitter files. This is a huge deal. This stops the federal government from dictating what these platforms must do and now it becomes more of a uh now they become more of a free market solution um with elon owning twitter i have no issues with these with these platforms competing against each other it's a good it's a good idea it's a good deal for everyone so good on them um but with that we kind of move on and talk about our oh, man. talking about the 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 taking away and the unconstitutional stuff more right it's it really is kind of fitting that on 9-11 we're talking about the new mexico um governor trying to ban um, constitutional carry in their country, um, trying to, you know, ban concealed carry and open carry in the state. So basically if you're on the street, you have no right to self-defense is what this, what the New Mexico sh uh, governor is saying. It's a complete front to the second amendment. Um, and if you haven't seen this, we will, um, and actually both the county sheriffs have basically now, Both the county sheriffs basically said that they're not going to enforce it. Um, the Albuquerque county sheriff was a little bit more direct and basically just said, 
the governor made it clear that it's going to be the state police that enforce these laws, not the not the local police. So it's going to be her police officers, not theirs. So the sheriff's office are like, no, hands off, hands off, honey. Like we're not we're not doing this. Um, but you know, um, we'll see what ends up happening. But this is, let me see, where is it? This is what she said in questions about how this, like what she says, how she says this is basically constitutional, right? So here. Yes, um, all the examples you cited are crimes. Kids shooting at other kids, shooting from cars. So what's the value of the civil order? Why not just do better law enforcement? Both. The value of the order is, is that I'm, it gives me three things. One, it says it's a statewide issue and it's a message to everyone to start leveraging your resources and arresting people. Two, the jurisdictions come at this, including with the DOJ restrictions, differently without the leveraging and the additional resources, arresting, and where do they go? We gotta make sure that everyone is bumping up their services. It's a message to the uh, Metropolitan Detention Center. It's a message to the HMOs. You better figure out treatment. We have been sort of stalled out to your point. This order basically says, stop stalling out. And to your point, just arrest everyone. Well, I also have to have the ability, I can't arrest everyone. There are literally too many people to arrest. Well, this would allow us, huh? Someone got a concealed carry permit in Albuquerque walking down a public street, they're not gonna get arrested. I can make the point that they, maybe they should be. And this is the point. I, I'm willing to do anything and everything within a shred of evidence-based effort. Because if you're not horrified that on any street corner in too many cities in New Mexico, there is someone with a gun sticking out of their waist or their belt and I'll tell you, if you're if you're a young person, you're not allowed to have a handgun. It's a crime already. I got it, but we won't be able to arrest all of them. So imagine, just in 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 a, in a perfect world, if this was upheld, it gives all of these police officers the ability to focus on the real criminals. Last follow-up. Yeah. You took. But note. your point is valid. You took a note to the Constitution. Isn't it unconstitutional to say? You cannot exercise your, your carry license. With one exception. And that is, if there is an the emergency, and I've declared an emergency for Alexa, a temporary stop. amount of time, I can invoke additional powers. No constitutional right, in my view, including my oath, is intended to be absolute. There are restrictions on free speech. There are restrictions on my freedoms. In this emergency, this 11-year-old, and all these parents who have lost all these children, they deserve my attention to have the debate about whether or not in an emergency we can create a safer environment. Because what about their constitutional rights? I took an oath to uphold those two. And if we ignore this growing problem without being bold, I've said to every other New Mexican, your rights are subrogated. All right. Yeah, I don't know what that was. My Alexa kind of went off, but um, this is insane. 
she is literally advocating for taking away the rights of law-abiding citizens and making her, like these two counties in her state, gun-free zones. And by making them gun-free zones, she puts everybody there at risk because by definition, by definition, yeah, they are spying on me, Courtney. You're right. They absolutely are. But by definition, um, criminals don't abide by laws. It is ironic. Actually, I have uh, I have two guns sitting right behind me because uh, I was out shooting with uh, my friends over at um, Iraq Veteran 8888 last week um and so i have my rifle sitting behind me so if you guys saw that on twitter um i did an interview with with eric and that should be coming out soon um but this is what this is yeah she's literally advocating taking away guns from law-abiding citizens in favor of criminals like this these types of laws don't do anything but hurt everybody it makes everybody in her district a target instead of allowing people to protect themselves now criminals are like hey i can go commit as many crimes as i want in this place and everybody else there who's in a law-abiding citizen is a sitting duck that's what happens with these types of gun laws like that's what happens with this type of tyranny um is everybody becomes a sitting duck because the criminals are no longer worried with who is actually carrying a gun anymore. Think about that. Um, so she's talking about that and it's a complete violation of the second amendment. I want to, I want to know where she says that she can circumvent this, the, the, the second amendment if it's an emergency. I remember they tried this and it worked pretty well during the pandemic. And we said this was coming. We said, I wasn't on the air at the time, but we said that if they could get away with locking us down and taking away our freedom of movement and freedom to, you know, unmask our face and, and, and all these other freedoms, then they would try to take away our guns with emergencies. And here it is. And I don't remember who said it, but I posted it on Twitter a couple um, when I when I saw this. I, I when I saw this video, and I basically said, if we allow them, and and like I said, I'm not the first person to say this, but if we allow them to take away our rights for an emergency, they will create emergencies to take away our rights. And so no matter what you think about what she's doing here, whether her heart's in the right place or not, um, she's trying to save kids or whatever, it doesn't matter. My heart goes out to any family who has lost a child to gun violence, but the answer is not to take away law-abiding citizens' rights. The answer is is to get rid of uh, is to police the crim criminals and so many 
jurisdictions around the country right now, we have district attorneys who are not doing their jobs. We have judges who are not sentencing people. And so basically, we have so many repeat offenders in many of these places that they don't they don't respect the law. They don't respect other people's rights. They don't, you know, even as a libertarian, they don't respect, you know, the non-aggression principle. They are the violators of the non-aggression principle. And as a non-violator of the non-aggression principle, I have a right to defend myself. And because of this, this will just create more issues. The real issue that they need to be solving is actually criminalizing the, the criminals and rehabilitating criminals, not giving them slaps on the wrist. Like, think about this. Like, what ends up happening? I mean, look at all these um, retail theft that is happening across the country in progressive cities. Um, I'll tell you, I'm actually going to... I'm going to Los Angeles this week. It's my first time in Los Angeles. I'm kind of nervous about it. Because it is a very progressive city in a very progressive state. And there's no way to defend myself while I'm there. Like, I don't trust criminals to not be criminals while I'm there. I live in a city here in Georgia. I live in Atlanta, which people say the crime rate here is crazy. But I'll tell you, the only place I've ever got shot at in the United States was Washington, D.C. So a lot of these blue states, they're I, I'm I'm nervous about it. Um, and I served in Afghanistan. I was on the road in Afghanistan. I wasn't, I mean, I'm not that nervous, but you know, it, it, it's, it's crazy to me that they think that this type of stuff, banning law abiding citizens from owning guns is going to do anything. Actually, it's interesting, Courtney, you say Atlanta is not Chicago, San Francisco, or Seattle. You're absolutely right. We do, we are, we do have, a higher gun rate. But the thing is, is a lot of people here do carry guns because we are a constitutional carry state, no matter what. The thing about it is, when you take, like, Chicago is one example that, Chicago is one example where they've proven when law-abiding citizens are allowed to own guns, crime goes down. So when they ended um, prohibition, basically, on firearms, especially in the south side of Chicago, um, and more people started shooting in, at intruders who came into their house, like defended their property, home invasions went down. Violent crime started to go down. Like, none of what she's talking about is going to make any inch of difference because, again, by definition, 
criminals don't abide by the law. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I'm in the South. I'm in the South. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a crazy situation. And we'll see what happens. I think a lot. I mean, there's protest today, I believe, about the ordinances. And so new Mexicans are standing up and good for them because they should, because their rights are being violated and we need to stop people violating the second amendment. And actually it's really interesting because people like to think that like the second, like our second amendment rights have started to go away when it's the exact opposite, actually. Um, who, it was actually, um, I was watching the episode of Tim cast last week with my good friend, Martha Bueno where they showed um, constitutional carry laws around the country. And and they showed the map. And where it used to be like non-issue and shell issue, and then like just through the years into where it is now, like I think it's something like half the country, maybe maybe a little bit less than half the country actually has constitutional carry now. So you don't even need a permit to carry in those states um, as long as you have a valid ID. It's actually pretty great. Like our, our actual Second Amendment rights have been growing these last few years, which is really good to see. It's really good to see state government. But what's interesting about that, what's interesting about that chart is, well, Supreme courts and stuff like that. They've ruled that places like Illinois and stuff like that. Like there's like, they basically ruled that no issue is not a thing anymore. Like you can't have no issue and you really can't have shall issues either. Uh, you have to either have issued or constitutional for concealed carry permits. Um, so, but it was real. it's really interesting to see. And you can actually go online and just Google it real quick to see like what the, how the charts show, but we are getting better actually. when it comes to being able to carry firearms, it's kind of been great. Um, other than they, if they want the, the continuous nonsense that, you know, weapons of war and AR 15s and assault rifles. Yet none of them can tell me what an assault rifle is. Like what's the definition? Like what is the definition of an assault rifle? I don't know. I don't know because they can't tell you. All I can figure is it's a semi-auto that's big, black, and scary. I don't know. It's not the same weapons that we carried when I was in Afghanistan because my weapon in Afghanistan can go full auto. Just saying. Um, but yeah. Yeah, they think AR stands for assault rifle. You're absolutely right, Courtney. Um and what's interesting about that is what does AK stand for? Because they don't like AK-47s because they're scary too. They don't know what they mean. I don't know. But speaking of California, if you didn't see, California added Transgender History Month um, to their calendar. I guess it's August. Like, y'all, look, this is dumb. 
Like what like what month don't we have something that's disgusting us? Like can you can you imagine? Like I'm here sitting here as a transsexual person. And I'm telling you I'm asking you what month are we not celebrating? What a narcissistic group of people that they feel like they need to be celebrated or honored in some way, like every single month. Like, think about this. I actually said this, like, why don't we just get, why don't we just make a veteran or a Memorial Month instead of Memorial Day? Why don't we have like a Memorial Month for our fallen soldiers? Why don't we have like a Veterans Month um, instead of, a, you know, Veterans Day? Anything. I mean, we already have Pride Month. But it's not even as bad as that. But California decided that August was going to be Transgender Awareness Month. Like, people aren't already aware that trans people exist. Or it's Transgender History Month. Like, what history are they going to go through? Like, what... Are they going to talk about the, the development of non-binary, which erase the transsexuals and tried to kick the transsexuals out of out of their uh out of their out of their group um but honestly i'm gonna, I'm gonna break it down and libby actually posted um made a post last week and it describes this perfectly so here you go Nick August Transgender History Month. This is the latest addition to an annual LGBTQIA calendar that includes National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day, A Romantic Spectrum Awareness Week, HIV is Not a Crime Awareness Day, Bisexual Health Awareness Month, National LGBT Health Awareness Week, National Women and Girls HIV AIDS Awareness Day, National Native HIV AIDS Awareness Day, International Transgender Day of Visibility, International Asexuality Day, National Youth HIV AIDS Awareness Day, Day of Silence, National Transgender HIV Testing Day, Non-Binary Parents Day, Lesbian Visibility Day, International Family Equality Day, International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia, National Asian and Pacific Islander HIV AIDS Awareness Day, Harvey Milk Day, Pansexual and Panromantic Awareness and Visibility Day. I do want to point out, I'm going to stop this real quick. I do want to point out Harvey Milk Day. And they actually tried to, um, what is it? They, they, they almost named a navy vessel after harvey milk who was like the first gay sailor or something i don't remember exactly what his role in the military was but he was also a known pedophile so think about that for a second like whenever you hear that name harvey milk remember that that's in the back of your mind that he was a known pedophile LGBTQ Pride Month, LGBTQ Families Day, Pulse Remembrance, Anniversary of the Supreme Court's Bostock Decision, Anniversary of the Supreme Court's Decision Legalizing Gay Marriage, National HIV Testing Day, Stonewall Day, Queer Youth of Faith Day, Non-Binary Awareness Week, International Non-Binary People's Day, International Drag Day, Gay Uncles Day, Southern HIV AIDS Awareness Day, National HIV AIDS and Aging Awareness Day, Bisexual Plus Awareness Week, Celebrate Bisexuality Day, National Gay Men's HIV AIDS Awareness Day, LGBTQ History Month, International Lesbian Day, Coming Out Day, National Latinx HIV AIDS Awareness Day, National LGBT Center Awareness Day, International Pronouns Day, Glad Spirit Week, Asexual Awareness Week, Intersex Awareness Day, Transgender Parents Day, Transgender Awareness Week, 
Transgender Day of Remembrance, World AIDS Day, Pansexual Panromantic Pride Day, and HIV Cure Research Day. I don't know, guys. I just don't know if that's enough awareness. Yeah, it just kept going. <laughs> yeah, all these holidays, so much oppression and marginalization, like, we're not already everywhere, right? I don't get it. Like, how can they say that this is, like, such oppression and that we need more days and everything like that? Like, people are aware, yo. Like, people know we exist. Like, it used to be, like, Pride Month and, like, International Coming Out Day, which, if you don't know, like, in Atlanta... Um, our pride celebration here is in October because it coincides with International Coming Out Day. But if you didn't know, I'm going to show you real quick. This is basically, I think, everything that she just listed off. This is it. And I mean, here's the thing. There's an entire month of October for LGBT History Month. So by adding transgender history month. So so by adding transgender history month, are they saying that the LGB should drop the T? Like, because why need a separate month if we're already included in October? I don't I don't know. I I, I don't. And and thank you. Courtney, so much. I always appreciate it. Thank you so much. But I don't know. I, I I really I don't get it. I don't I don't I don't. And actually, let me see. Did I? I thought I had this pulled up. Eh, maybe not. One second. So I had this pulled up because um, I want to remind y'all what I said when I was. This is about, this is what I actually said when I was on TimCast about Pride Month. I'm done with Pride. I'm done with Pride Month. So if I'm done with Pride Month, think about what I think about like all these different holidays and history months. Um, but here's what I said. I like the American Greatness Month. I, I am so done with Pride, even as somebody who's in the LGBT community, because it's just so taken over. It's taken over by the leftist um that want to destroy the country so we don't need a month we have every other day it seems so <laughs> yeah, we don't that... need it and we don't need i mean representation is everywhere so what are we even celebrating or what I are think... we protesting you know what we need? we need we need i like the American... think about what i said there <laughs> we don't need a month we don't even need a pride month let alone a transgender history month <laughs> And yes, it's taken over. And I unironically said, it seems like we have every other day of the year. And now they're giving us every other day of the year. It's so ridiculous. In, in all honesty, it is so ridiculous. I, I don't even know what, what else to say. I... I we don't need transgender history month like 
unless they really do want to separate us from the LGB and then the LGB can have pride month and we have LGBT history month, that's up to them. I'm done with it all. I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of people are done with that as well. Um, but yeah, I know we've kind of gone over. Um, I do want to hit this last story though. This is what I'm starting to realize y'all like, there's so many stories. I may have to like bump this out to like an hour, 30 minutes, maybe two hours. Like, I don't know, because I get on these stories and I, I just keep going and I talk and I realize that an hour is not that much time. <laughs> so I hope you all continue to stick with me. Um, if we if we if we do go long, I'm going to keep it an hour. But if we go long, that's no big deal. But the next story we have actually. So AOC says inflation claims of inflation are propaganda um which really interesting and i didn't even i've never even I, I i've never seen this chart before i wrote this article which is really which is really crazy but um so alexia new york representative elect alexandria ocasio cortez um, she posted a video on her Instagram account from a, what is it, New Zealand left-wing organization that said inflation is propaganda and that greedy shareholders are the reason that prices have been high. So let's talk about this for a second. I mean, her district was not having any of it. Like, people in her district are like, is she crazy? Has she been to the grocery store lately? One person, like, just zinger right here. Um, I mean, this person, 60, 61 years old, said, you can't put this all on big companies. Prices went up then, and they've stayed high. I think it was just an excuse to make us spend more money talking about the pandemic as a whole. Um, another said, <laughs> and for her to act as if inflation being something other than the government's fault, well, since I don't have someone to pay for my $30,000 dress for a gala like she did, it's much easier for me to see the truth. These are her people in her district. Let's just talk about that. These are people in her district because they're talking, I mean, and that's talking about her Met Gala dress that said tax the rich, which cost $30,000, which is really interesting, right? She can, like, somebody's going to pay for her $30,000 dress for her that says tax the rich. Well, her constituents of hers are drowning in inflation um basically people are saying like she should get out here and talk to the people and see how bad it's gotten like she's now living up in her ivory tower and not really seeing what's going on um the uh the, the instagram story from the basically said propaganda around inflation and cost of living is so powerful that we've forgotten the very basic fact that corporations set the prices of their product 
if a corporation raises its prices, then it makes record profits. That's not some invincible monster. That is just a bunch of greedy shareholders. Let's talk about basic economics. Now, if you don't know, I do have a degree. I do have a business degree. It's not in economics, but I did have to take some economics courses. Okay, so my degree is in logistics management and marketing. But what I will tell you, the most memorable thing from my economics course that I ever learned is something called the multiplier effect. Um, and basically what the multiplier effect says is when you raise the price on any given item, that price reverberates through the supply chain and causes the end product to cost more. So for example, um, I can go back to the cost of fuel. Let's talk about what we've been dealing with with fuel for a while. Fuel prices go up because of supply chain issues, because the Department of um, Transportation has had issues delivering fuel. We've had fuel issues because we got off of the American First model when it comes to fuel. Um, and we started buying from the Middle East again. And fuel is one thing that does not. And actually, this is what's interesting is the, the administration this week has decided to. end claims to fuel operate like claims of land to drill fuel. So they've ended these uh, permits, right? All that does the price of fuel goes up because of futures. So Saudi Arabia will raise prices on their oil futures because they know that in the future, we won't be able to drill because we just ended these land claims. Okay, so we are now beholden to their prices. Um, and so our prices are going to continue to go up in terms of fuel. So expect $10, expect $10 in gas here pretty soon. But the basics are, for one, as the government begins to print more money to pay off our debt, um, because we have such substantial debt, what, $31, 32000000000000 trillion in debt right now, that puts more money into the market, meaning that our money is now worth less. That's the first thing when it comes to inflation. Our money is not worth as much because it's not back to anything. And there's so much of it in the market, it's worth less. It's basic supply and demand in that regard when it comes to our money. Now, talk about a... Now, talk about fuel, right? Gas prices go from $2 a gallon to $5 a gallon in the last couple of years. So now logistics cost, say it used to cost $5,000 to transport, you know, a bushel of goods um, or a bushel of parts that a manufacturing plant needed. 
So let's just go from the basics. So one organization produces, you know, goods, like the basic model. So think about a car. So one manufacturer, say it's the door hinges, just for example, door hinges. They produce the door hinges that go into the final product of a car. They produce those door hinges. It gets on a truck. It goes to the manufacturing plant. Well, because of the item, because of the cost that it, you know, all the raw material that they need to create those door hinges need to be transported there. So, ten dollars in gas, ten dollars, ten dollars a gallon in gas. That adds up. That increases the prices. So the manufacturer of door hinges has to increase their prices be in order to make their own profit because their profits are going to dwindle based on logistics costs. Transport those door hinges over to, say, GM, and they put them on a car. But to transport them, that fuel cost has now gone up too. So now GM goes, well, now this widget, not only does it cost me five cents more per widget to, you know, buy the item. Now logistics costs also cost me, you know, $10 per shipment more. So now I per car have to raise prices to in order to do this now think about all the widgets that it it takes to create a final product of a car and that is why prices go up the multiplier effect starts at the very 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 beginning of manufacturing and all those increased added costs along the way whether it's you know, it, it, the all those increased costs bring that up we can even go with food costs right take away all the interest intricacies of manufacturing a car and you say this item this tomato this tomato comes from a farm right gets transported to a plant now where it gets packaged up to deliver to suppliers in a refrigerated truck so there's two different sets of increased costs there because of transportation costs. Like again, having a degree in logistics, transportation costs to me are huge because every area where a item needs to go, the transportation costs going up is affected. Um, as a supply chain manager, I you know you have you have they look at what is your cost like how much are you spending per item to bring like per widget to come in and how much does the final like how much we 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 create what are called bills of material so in order to create this widget as our final product we create a complete bill of material of everything that we need to bring in that creates that item and then you say, what does each thing cost? Are we get? Then we put a you know ten percent markup. You put you know how much does it cost to like just to purchase the product? How much are the logistics costs like the the uh, the shipping costs to get those items to you for one item? And then 
add like a 10% markup just so you can make a little bit of profit. And that is what your that is usually what your what your standard product costs are. Like that's what you're gonna sell it for. Um and so to say that it's just greedy corporations and not understanding how even the basics of supply chain and the you know the the market work and again just go look up the multiplier effect like once you have a little bit of increase in in stuff in uh price of one item it increases the price of everything um so it's not just greedy corporations and greedy shareholders it's it's completely insane to even think so like if you like if you think that it's because of fuel cost um then then you're insane now i i do want to point out this um this chart here this is actually a chart from the bureau of labor and statistics that have shown like the inflation rates over the years i was actually kind of dumbfounded by this to be quite honest because literally before 2020 actually before 2021 the times that inflation even hit above 3%, just looking real quick, it's maybe here in 2011, again, Obama administration, election year time frame. Um, actually, in 2009, they had a, a negative uh, deflation rate, which was actually kind of crazy. But that was also after we had crazy inflation in 2008 when we had like the market sales, sell-offs and everything like that. So... This was a crazy time frame right here. I thought this was crazy time frame because remember, I graduated college in 2009. Um, and in 2008, everything was going crazy, especially in the housing market. That's the only time. I mean, in the average was 3.8% in terms of uh, inflation. Right. But every other year, like inflation never went above really 3%. 2011, that was about it. Never went, never went above 4%, except for like right here in 2005. That's about it. 4% was very, very unlikely. Now, 2020. I mean, it's 1% through almost 1 and 2, like 1 and 2% during almost all the Trump years. Until about, yeah, even through 2020. Look at, look at these numbers through 2020. Then you hit 2021. January is good. February is good. March is good. And then April, holy fuck. 4%. Like that's, wow. Think about this. 4% in April. 5% in May. And it just kept going up in 2021. What's the difference? Joe Biden was elected in 2020. It was in January 2021, Joe Biden took office. So from the point that he took office, these numbers went up and up and up and up. 2022, we were hitting record numbers every single month. At least unprecedented numbers. I don't know if they were actually records based on like when you know, the Great Depression and stuff like that. But every single month, they were hitting record numbers. And a lot of that goes back to fuel costs, like we were talking about before. 
even in Jan and then it started to come down right here. So November and then December dropped down a little bit. January dropped. So it started to drop again as we hit July and August. Now, gas prices really haven't gone down. Gas prices are about where they were, at least here in Georgia. But our state cut the gas tax for this whole thing, too. But a lot of that tied to that. But I just want to point that out. Because this is going to be a big sticking point in the next election, I think. Like, people remember this stuff. and But now it's starting to come into an election year. We're going to drop back down. We're going to do this. But now that the now that they have... Uh, the president has cut these oil leases. I'm I'm waiting to see what happens with fuel prices to go back up. I think it's going to go back up. Again, I am not a not an expert on this stuff, but it would seem like they would continue to go up, right? But yes, inflation is a hoax. It's all propaganda. Even though the Department of Labor, B Bureau of Labor and Statistics are the ones that are putting this out there. Inflation is a hoax, ladies and gentlemen. But. All right. Well, I'm not going to continue too much further, but I do want to just point out a couple more articles. I think I put down on the. Uh, at, that we that we posted this week. So if you don't know about Sage's Law, go check out what happened in Virginia with Sage. It is a it's one of the main reasons why I fight against um, schools keeping secrets from parents. Um, it's a heartbreaking story of what's going on. But the mother of Sage um, is suing their school district after basically, yeah, her child was sex trafficked and was kidnapped and sex trafficked by the state. So go check this article out. Go check out what's going on with Sage. Um, unfortunately, Sage's law uh, failed to pass in Virginia last year, um, which is a complete travesty in and of itself as well. This one is uh, this one's a little bit funny, too. Like, so in England... Police responded to a yoga class because people called it in that a had a ritual mass murder had taken place there because people had walked by the yoga studio and saw that uh, people were lying on the floor with candles with blankets or towels over themselves. Um, and they basically thought that these people had died there <laughs> in like a ritualistic ceremony it's kind of a funny story but definitely go check it out that one's on human events um humanevents.com and if and if you can't find it on their main page you can go to i think humanevents.com slash let me see one second it is yeah humanevents.com slash author slash Sarah Higdon. It is one of the top stories there along with a Polish family, which if you guys don't know, I am Polish, which makes me a person of color, I guess. Um, but a Polish family um, who sheltered Jews during the uh, during World War II was uh, beatified by the, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I'm saying that. I'm such a bad Catholic. I, I, I know. 
but they were the Catholic Church um, recognized them um, this week in in uh, what is it? Um, blessed the family uh, that that sheltered Jews during the Nazi revolution in a small town in Poland. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so. Um, go check out some of these stories, but yeah, definitely check out again. I always talk about human events. I always talk about the post millennial, but go check out all these stories on human events too. There's a lot of good international news and human events is growing as well. We got a lot of, uh, great columnists and big name people that are starting to write some articles and op-eds and columns for human events. Um, it's definitely a place to go check out. So if you want that, go check it out. But if you go to humanevents.com slash author slash Sarah Higdon, you can check out some of these interesting stories that I have written about as well. So thank you all for watching this evening. I appreciate it. Um, now, I do want to say, like, I don't actually know. Um, I. I don't know if I'm going to have a show next week. So just a forewarning. Watch the feed because I'm not sure if I'm going to do the show. I'm not going to sure. I'm not sure I'm going to be up for the show because as of right now, I'm flying to the West Coast on Friday. And then I'm taking a red eye home on Sunday evening. So I'm not going to be. So, like, I'm not going to be arriving back in Atlanta until about, like, 7.30 in the morning um, on Monday. But, Courtney, don't worry. Don't worry. Um, it's for a very good reason. I can't wait to surprise y'all with what is going on. Um, yeah, I'm just going to say that because it's going to be epic the reason why i'm going out to the west coast doing some content out there not going to give too much away right now but like i said it is going to be uh i am so excited i am i'm fine I'm, i might change it to tuesday I, I might um but just keep just actually if i don't do it on monday i will most likely do it on tuesday but just keep your eye on it. Watch my social media feeds, which is a good point to say, subscribe to me across all social media platforms. Um, and make sure you click that like and subscribe button. And I will see you next time.